Does this movie look familiar, baseball fans? A Game 7 in Houston tonight where the road team has won every single game. Are the Astros having flashbacks to the 2019 World Series? The Phillies can punch their ticket to the Fall Classic later today after averting a scare in Arizona. The Lions were tamed in Baltimore. The Dolphins trapped in Philly as NFL Week 7 is almost in the books. Penn State comes up small in Columbus. Alabama rolls in a second-half comeback. And bye-bye to USC as college football has passed the halfway point of their season. A major injury in the NHL and hoop fans. It's the eve of another NBA season. I'll go through some over-under numbers as tip-off in Denver for the World Champions is tomorrow night. If sports is what you're looking for, you have come to the right place. All the above and then some is coming up. But first, this message. J Reels here just passing by to send a brief reminder to please subscribe, rate, review this podcast, the J Reels podcast, on wherever you listen to your podcast, whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, CastBox, all of the major platforms that are out there, whichever one that you listen to, once again, Just throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there, especially this one, which covers all sports in roughly one hour. Where else are you going to get that? So if you can go ahead and please do that, I would sincerely and gratefully appreciate it. And with that said, let's get it. The J Reels podcast begins in five, four, three, two, one. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, Michael people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. Your boy is playing a little bit injured today as I'm nursing a head cold, but you know some sniffles will never Ever stop yours truly as I deliver everything that's happening in the world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard and for those who have been banging with me going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle or even as early as this past Thursday, I welcome you guys and gals back and boy do I have a lot cooking here on the sports stove ready to serve it all to start off another week. We inch closer to November, obviously Halloween before that, but nevertheless I'm glad you stopped by to get my take on what is happening in the universe. And boy, we got a lot as far as baseball is concerned because when we were on the air, I should say when we had connected last Thursday, there was a scenario where it looked like we could have had two series, one could have been a sweep, and the other probably could have been about five games, maybe to a sixth game. And as I speak right now, early this Monday morning, we have a seventh game, which will be later tonight and then this afternoon, where we could have a coronation in Philadelphia where the Phillies will go back to the World Series for a second straight year. But we have to wonder whether or not the Houston Astros will meet them to have that rematch of what we saw there a year ago. Because as I mentioned at the very top, and I'm sure all of Houston has to be shaking their heads. They've seen this movie before, and they've actually read the book, and they're probably going to wear the shirt going into Minute Maid Park tonight knowing that they're defending champs, the team that has been into seven straight ALCSs, a team that knows their way around winning, a team that knows about toughness, that knows about picking up the bootstraps and making sure that they're able to persevere and climb that mountain, whether it is the easiest path possible, a la last year when they breezed through the AL. Playoff picture, sweeping the Mariners, sweeping the Yankees before playing the Phillies in a World Series, or having to do it the hard way, similar to what they had to go through back in 2017 when they went back to LA up 3-2, and I understand we could talk about the cheating scandal, etc., and then, of course, losing the way they did in 2021 against the Atlanta Braves, and losing even in a situation where they were down 0-3 to the Tampa Bay Rays in this very round to come all the way back to tie the series 
only to lose a game seven. So this team has been through the ringer and back, knowing what it takes to win and knowing what heartache is all about. And right now that city has to be tight and on edge. And you would think that the players on the team wouldn't be as such. Now granted, the cast of characters have changed over the years. That is understood. But we know that the heart of that team, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, even to a certain extent, Justin Verlander, I know he went to the Metro this year, but we understand that he's a Houston Astro tried and true. Michael Brantley, Jordan Alvarez, guys that have been on the team for maybe not the bulk of that entire run, but have been there through the recent stretch to know what it is to lose a World Series, to know what it is to lose a tough playoff series after trailing 0-3, or even going back to the 2019 World Series when they were down 0-2 going to Washington before sweeping the middle three games in the nation's capital only to come home to lose the World Series to the Washington Nationals. And then how ironic that it's going to be tonight that there's going to be a pitcher on the mound for the Texas Rangers who knows well about what had taken place during that 2019 World Series. And that is the one Max Scherzer, which makes this Game 7 in Houston even that much more intriguing and fascinating. And I'm going to get to that in a moment. But what we've seen here throughout this series, I don't think the Astros are going to get out of this alive. I really don't. But... We could go back to the heroics there on Friday with Jose Altuve in the ninth inning and how they've been able to claw back and get back into the series with some astounding numbers offensively when they were even at two apiece into that game Friday where the eighth inning, it seemed to unravel for the Texas Rangers. And granted that the pitcher, Brian Abreu, I don't think he was trying to intentionally hit Adolis Garcia, who hit the home run earlier in the game. And granted, I'm sure he was trying to throw up and in. But considering the circumstances where the Astros were trailing at that time, 4-2. to two, And they had a runner on first base. And when Garcia got plunked, he turned to the catcher, Martin Maldonado. Pointed at him. Even made a gesture to swipe at him. And then the bench was cleared. And we saw the mess that took place after that to where... Abreu was ejected, Dusty also ejected, as well as Garcia, Dusty taking forever, and understandably and rightfully so, arguing not only his case for his pitcher, but for his team to know that they weren't going to throw at Garcia, yes, it doesn't look good, it's not a great optic, I understand, based on the home run that he hit earlier, but for Baker to show some gamesmanship toward the Rangers by not stepping off into the clubhouse and hanging out in the dugout for as long as he possibly can. Now, he was icing his pitcher at the time, who was Ryan Presley, who came into the game and was heroic in his performance. But for the Astros then to come up in the top of the ninth, and they left a couple of runners there in that eighth inning where if they would have gotten another run in, the Rangers, that is, it would have been 5-2, and who knows? The complexion of the game would have been a lot different. But because they weren't able to get that fifth run in, And with the first two runners on in the top of the ninth inning with Jose Altuve at the plate off of Jose LeClerc, who's been a good closer here for the Rangers this year, what happens? He takes him deep into the Arlington night, over the wall and left, 5-4, where the Astros did it again. Rose from the dead, showed their championship DNA, and it looked like at that point, maybe, just maybe, the Astros would be home free literally as the scene shifted to Minute Maid last night. And maybe they've learned from what took place there in 2019, albeit in a World Series as opposed to an LCS. But then heading into last night, you would have thought that the Astros would have learned from that moment. And here they were to fast forward to last night. And they jump out to a one nothing lead early to who else? Jordan Alvarez with another RBI. He has been scorching hot here in this postseason. But then the Rangers answered back with a home run by Mitch Garver in the top of the second. And I thought that was big. Because it didn't give any momentum to the Astros from that point on. It pretty much stabilized early in the game. I get it was just the top of the second. But for Garver to hit that home run, imagine if they put up a zero there and the Astros come up in the bottom of the second and let's say they score another run or two. Now I understand you can't forecast early on in the game, even if the Astros were to score, let's say they made it 2-0, even 3-0. You still have seven more innings to go. But who knows? Maybe the Rangers get tight. 
Maybe they grip the bats a little bit too strong for their liking. And then the next thing you know, the Astros start to run away. They start to add to that lead. And then bye-bye to Texas and their 2-0 series lead. And they would have spit the bit. But as it was, they were able to play from in front. They got the big home run by Jonah Heim there in the fourth inning to make it 3-1. And they played from in front from that point on. And even though there were a couple of scares there, especially in the eighth inning when they had the bases loaded and it looked like maybe the Astros were going to put themselves in a position to either tie or maybe take the lead, that wasn't going to be the case as they were able to shut down the Astro offense there in that eighth inning. And then when you get to the ninth, it all unraveled there to the point where at 5-2, after attacking on a run, and then you had Adolis Garcia hit the grand slam into the Crawford boxes and put the exclamation point for everything that had taken place. And of course, he did face Abreu in the previous inning where Abreu was suspended for his actions, throwing inside on Garcia there during Game 5. He, of course, appealed. And now we'll get to find out whether or not today, whether he may not be in uniform tonight. He has that two-game suspension. So if the Astros... Obviously, have a game tonight, but if they win tonight and go on to a World Series, he'll miss game one. If the appeal isn't upheld, if they happen to slice the appeal where it's just one game, obviously, he's going to miss tonight's game. And as we all know, it's winner take all to go on the World Series and would be a huge loss for the Astros. But with Garcia hitting that home run there in the ninth to make it 9-2, and now sets the stage for tonight where Max Scherzer, it's really he versus the Astros because... He has some demons that he needs to slay. And we understand that he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. He's going to go in on roller skates. But we've seen his performances over the last few years as far as him not being that dominant, that clutch, that gamer that we've seen throughout the course of his career. And now he's putting himself on a stage where he has to deliver. The reason why the Texas Rangers brought him from New York to be in spots like this to take his team home. Anything short of that would be an out-and-out disaster. That's all there is to it. There's no way that you're going to invest. Granted, I understand Steve Cohen is also putting in whatever millions of dollars himself, but he's making $43 million this year. You do not come to this point of the season in a Game 7, do or die, to go out there and throw five innings of four-run, five-hit ball. Or what we saw there in game number three where he pitched four innings with five-run, five-hit ball and didn't even give you a complete effort to the point where he kept his team in the game or he gave his team any length where he pitched into the sixth inning or even into the seventh inning for that matter. I get it, he's coming off of an injury which he hadn't pitched in over a month, but uh uh-uh, I don't want to hear it, no excuse. If you're healthy enough to pitch, you gut it out. And he's been a guy, as we've seen over the course of his career, that he's gutted out games. So to me, it is going to be riveting, compelling, you name it, to see how he's going to perform on this stage tonight. And then the flip side of that is the Astros. Despite the fact that they won a World Series last year, despite the fact that they've had this tremendous run, dating back to 2016, but you have to figure... As much success as this team has had, they have also been, I'm not going to go as far as saying snake bit. That is way too strong. But they've had their moments of major disappointment in October. Whether it was in 2020, and granted, they were down 0-3, so they were valiant in their comeback before they fell short. They ran out of gas. All right, fine. But you can't explain 2019. That one we've never seen in the history of the sport where in a World Series, all the road teams won. And knowing that they came back from the dead and they had the two games in their building and they couldn't pull through. And of course, we could talk about Garrett Cole, how he should have gutted out one inning when they had a 2-1 lead going into the top of the seventh. But that's another story for another day. But the Astros have had some heartache here. And boy, this would sting even more. And I get it that Texas and Houston isn't Dodgers, Giants, Yankees, Red Sox, Cubs, Cardinals, etc. It's not. But this would really sting if the Astros do not come out alive. And I hate to say it, although there's a part of me that feels and thinks that the Astros would have learned from what had taken place back four years ago, but I don't know. This team has not played well at home all year long. Their record indicates that. 29, excuse me, 39 and 42 was their record in the regular season. They had the Twins win a game 
in the division series and they haven't won any of their home games against Texas. Why would that change tonight? Give me one reason. It's not as if that their championship medal and DNA, as I've talked about time after time after time, is going to rise to the occasion tonight. To me, the Astros, as weird as this is going to sound, for a team that won a championship last year, for a team that has all the pedigree that you could, you can't even count as how high it is. But they need to play from in front tonight. And in front, not one nothing into the sixth or seventh inning. They need to put up a three spot in the first and just continue to tack on and pile on because if the game is close, I think it favors the Texas Rangers. Because even though there's going to be some pressure on them, of course, but the Astros, I don't trust them in that building. So how I look at this game, even if Scherzer doesn't gut out this game for whatever the reason and the Ranger offense explodes, and last night they tacked on those runs there in the ninth inning. It was really a 4-2 game before you got to the top of the ninth. But if they're going to put out a good offensive effort, and I mean scoring five, six runs, they should win the game. So if you're the Astros, you better hope and pray that you jump on Scherzer similar to the way you did there in game three because if not, I don't think you're getting out alive. And I picked the Astros to win in six. Even after they were down 0-2, I figured that the series wasn't over. I thought maybe that they would bring it back to Minute Maid down 3-2. And even if they would have lost in six, okay, fine. They showed some pride and they showed some toughness, but they were unable to get over the hump. To me, there's no excuse. You can't blow another 3-2 series lead going back to your building similar to what you did there in the World Series in 2019. You just can't. And that's why tonight's game is just uh, off the charts fascinating. And thankfully, it's going to be on Fox because watching these games on FS1, I mean, seriously, they couldn't have had that game six last night on Fox. They would have got a decent rating. And tonight's rating, I understand this isn't the 70s and 80s where they're going to get 25, 30 million. I would think, if I had to take a guess, I'm sure baseball would jump for joy if they got 10 million viewers tonight. Now, it's going up against the football, San Francisco, Minnesota. By any means, not a marquee matchup, but it is San Francisco. You know, a lot of people are going to watch. And obviously, with the fantasy footballers, etc., they're going to slaughter the Ranger-Astro game in their sleep. But you would think that tonight should be a very good rating to see whether or not the Astros are going to be able to get over the hump here and back to a World Series over the Rangers. Finally, just dig themselves out from that 3-2 hole and prevail to get back to the World Series for the first time in a dozen years. So that's what you have there with the American League. I can't wait. I'm going to watch that. I was on top of it yesterday. I wasn't on top of the NFL game last night. We'll get to the NFL in a minute. As far as the National League game and that series, you have a 435 game this afternoon in Philadelphia where you would think the coronation is going to happen. Give it up for Arizona. They definitely showed their grit and they showed their spunkiness in games three and four. Cattell Marte with the walk-off there in the ninth inning. And then you had the dramatic comeback there. Down 5-3. Alec Thomas hits the two-run homer. And then they tack on the other run by Gabriel Moreno. And they were able to hang on. And Philly fans, you're going to have to deal with Craig Kimbrell. He is the oldest Chapman of the National League and vice versa. Because when you see those guys come in, you want to avert your eyes. Kimbrell, I've talked about it a zillion times. That guy is walking on dental floss between the two skyscrapers because there is no way that if you're a Philly fan or even a Texas Ranger fan that when he comes into the game, you are 100% confident. You're probably not even 10% confident because you know that you have your fingers, your toes, your eyes crossed whenever those guys come in the game. But as it was, a game five where a lot of pressure was on Philly, even though they had the home field, But they were able to do what they did early and often with the long ball, Kyle Schwarber, Bryce Harper, later on JT Real Muto, and they coasted to a 6-1 win to where Aaron Nola will be on the hill and has pitched very well here this postseason. And you would think that the Philadelphia Phillies, who have been on a mission, especially ever since that Brave series, to get back to a World Series and see if they could go ahead and win it, well, it's all right in front of them. And to me, you take care of business, That crowd is going to be raucous. That crowd is going to want blood. And they're going to do whatever it takes to push their team home to get back to the Fall Classic. And if Arizona wins the game, I'd be shocked. Listen, 
They did what they had to do by winning the two games, getting back in the series. It wasn't as if they won a game three, which usually is the conventional, I want to say conventional, that's not the right word, which usually we see in series that the underdog, they get their one game and then Philly will go on to win game four, it's 3-1, and then they ice it in game five. They got the two middle games, they made it interesting, and then we saw what happened there in game five. Now, let's see if they're going to be set up for an execution, which I think is going to happen this afternoon, or will Merrill Kelly and company have enough fight in them to live to see another day and push us to a Game 7? And if that's the case, you know Major League Baseball is going to do cartwheels because, as I mentioned, at the very top, on Thursday, you had the Phillies up 2-0 going to Arizona playing the Game 3 that night, and then it was 2-1 at the time on Thursday's podcast to where the Astros were able to save face and make it a series. And now here we are on Monday where we have a Game 7 and who knows? Could there be a possible Game 7 in Philadelphia tomorrow night? I don't think so. I could see the Phillies scoring early and often and getting to Merrill Kelly and next thing you know, there's going to be a celebration on the pitcher's mound there at Citizens Bank. But stranger things have happened. So we shall see what is going to take place here later today. Hopefully you get a chance to listen to this before that happens as I'll try to edit and post this up ASAP. If not, if you get this after the fact, you're already going to know who's going to win. But the bottom line is, is that you have two baseball games here as we get to late October. And if you would have asked me this on Thursday, I would have said, what are you smoking? So that's what we got there. And let me pivot and transition as I put on my helmet and shoulder pads for the NFL and college football. We'll do a double take here. As far as yesterday, there were a couple of games that stood out. And the first one, and I know we can talk about winners and losers, which I'll get to, of course. And I understand they're part of the losers. But the theme that I have from yesterday here in Week 7 is that you have to wonder about these three teams. And I understand it's one game. It's not ready to jump ship or go crazy or whatever. But when we see teams that go on the road and play in big spots, and one of them wasn't even a big spot, which may come as a surprise when you think about it. But considering the way they played last week and how they performed there yesterday, although they had a lead there late, and if you start putting the pieces together, I'm sure you know which game I'm referring to. But for the Lions, the Dolphins, and then the Bills, teams that have big-time aspirations, and I get it that the Lions and Dolphins were teams that maybe could be on the come-up or maybe could try to put themselves in a position where they belong in the upper echelon teams in the sport. And based on their record and how they performed this year, you would think that, oh, these are big litmus tests for each one of these teams, but especially for those two teams. Buffalo, I'll get to in a second. But for the Lions who just put up a pathetic performance in Baltimore, I mean, they might as well just have stayed in a hotel or maybe even stayed in Detroit for that matter. And even though, give it up for the coach, Dan Campbell, he said that, Maybe we needed to have a loss like this. And sometimes you do. Maybe you needed that swift kick to the rear end to say, hey guys, stop reading the press clippings. Yes, we were 5-1. and one. Yes, we are a team that maybe could sneak up, not necessarily on people, but maybe move up in class to match against the Niners and Eagles in the NFC. And boy, did they come back to earth big time there yesterday. That's number one. Number two... Now, I get it that they were competitive in the game and what took place there at the link in Philadelphia where they got the interception return by Jerome Baker to make it 17-17, but then on the ensuing drive, the Eagles go down the field, put it in the end zone to make it 24-17, and mind you, I didn't get a good feel of this game because I was watching the baseball. So I was back and forth with it. I was in tune to it, but certainly wasn't watching play for play or really investing in what was going on in the game. But for the Dolphins, who went to Buffalo and got blown out 48-20 a few weeks ago, and not to say that they had to win this game, and yes, they were competitive for two and a half quarters, but it also goes to show that you have to wonder whether or not Miami, in a big spot, especially in January, because... Although they could still win a division, and chances are, if they do, they will likely probably have a two seed, depending on where it falls, because you also have to worry about the AFC North, and we would think that if Kansas City continues to play well, shocker, they'll be a one seed, but competing for that two seed is going to be huge for Miami, because at least it will guarantee you 
won two home games, excuse me, because they won't have a bye. They will host a wild card game and then obviously a divisional playoff game if they were to get that two seed. But anything less than that, they'll only have the one home game and then they have to go on the road. So to know that the Dolphins, maybe to not have it in them to play that big game on the road, especially in a hostile environment, maybe even in a, even in a cold weather city, that's one thing that's going to be in the back of your mind, knowing that they didn't win in Buffalo and they did not win in Philadelphia. And then the last thing is the aforementioned Bills. I picked them as my knockout pool, and for whatever the reason, we don't have to worry about it now for the rest of the year because I forgot again on Thursday to pick my knockout pool pick. And I thought Buffalo yesterday as I posted on my YouTube channel. But the thing was is that literally 10 minutes after I posted that and I thought about it, and I did think about this pick. It wasn't like, oh, let me see who's going to play. All right, I'm going to pick Buffalo. 10 minutes after I thought about it, I said to myself, New England is due to win a game. It is in their building. And they've been so putrid and pathetic that watch Belichick and company all of a sudden perform magic. And as I thought about that and I said, well, you know what? Buffalo did have a bad game against the Giants. They were able to pull that game out of their asses. And luckily for them, were able to win that Sunday night against the G-Men. So that was when I thought, nah, I think Buffalo will prevail. It'll probably be a close game. It'll be tight. But somehow, someway, they'll pull it out and they'll leave Foxborough with a win. Well, they actually had a lead there late, but in the closing seconds, Mac Jones finds Mike Gusecki, the former Dolphin tight end, to win. And Buffalo, I don't know if I totally trust them either. Now, I understand they're hurting on defense, no Tredavious White and Matt Milano, and they're banged up there in their defensive secondary. Excuse me, 100%. So we got to take that into account, but there's no excuse They are a much better team than New England. And I understand here's the old thing in watching football forever. It doesn't matter what the record is. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter at all. Anytime that a better team has to go on the road in the division, it's never an easy game. More often than not, you get to see the blowout. More often than not, yes, the better team wins. But there's always that one instance especially when a team that has been bruised, battered, scarred, beaten down, etc. and the one New England Patriots, but even the worst team has their day. And guess what? New England had their day, and now Buffalo, with their tail between their legs, with two bad performances here, even in a win last week against the Giants, and then yesterday, I understand they came back, and they had the lead there, but they weren't able to secure it, and they lose. And another division loss, I might add, which is critical. Granted, they beat Miami head-to-head, But remember, they lost to the Jets earlier this year, now the Patriots, so that does not bode well if they do end up with a tiebreaker scenario, if the Dolphins do end up beating the Bills later on this year, because if the Dolphins were to run the table, then they're going to have a division. But a lot of football to be played, and those three teams right there, and I know this is a little, I won't have the beaten path here with my winners and losers of the week, because those three teams, unlike the Dolphins, I won't put them in the loser category. And maybe I should have put New England in the category for winning the game. But Buffalo, they had to do a better job. They had to win that game. Not only to keep pace with the Miami Dolphins, as we saw there, the Dolphins lost their Sunday night. And I'm not going to put the Dolphins in the loser category because they don't deserve that. The Eagles, after their bad performance against the Jets the week before, they had to come back and bounce back nicely. And they did. They did what they had to do. A.J. Brown with some big catches, etc. We know the deal. Jalen Hurts. Actually playing injured too. Showed some toughness and some metal on his part. But for the Lions and the Bills, those are my two losers and just pathetic when you think about it because I get it. Every team's going to have their day in the sun or in this case their day under the clouds and the rain. And the Lions, who maybe we thought would not be that, I hate to say it like this, that paper tiger or in this case a paper lion. And boy, did they get smacked down and take it to the woodshed in Baltimore, and give it up for the Ravens. They played great, and a big game there by Lamar Jackson. I'm sure it's going to get everybody wondering whether or not the Ravens could be a team that belongs with Kansas City, especially them two. Forget about Buffalo, Miami at this point. But the Ravens are showing their medal here, and I'm not going to go crazy on one game because even with them, look at the game that they had in Pittsburgh where they had no business winning. And obviously, I didn't have a podcast there last Monday, me being away or two Mondays ago. 
So I didn't really talk about that game. But they are also very up and down. And the Ravens, I can't trust them as far as I can throw them. Although they played very well. And now are 5-2 and two there in the AFC North. As far as my winners, this is going to be real quick, people. Because really there isn't much to unpack when it comes to that. I'll give it up for the Chicago Bears. And I know it's going to be like, oh, Jay Reels. Why are you going to give it to a team that came into their game 1-5? and five? Well, with Justin Fields out and a guy named Tyson Bajan. Who? Where he came in, maybe they'll call him Bajan Orange, which I know that may be a terrible pun. And you know that the Bears wear those orange uniforms at times. But for him to go in there undrafted, and yes, he dinked and dunked all over the field, didn't throw for a ton of yardage, 162 total for the game. But they did put up 30 points. And the Raiders, we know, are pathetic. They didn't have Jimmy Garoppolo. But for the Bears, who are going to have a long season and already are having a long season, at least they had something to cheer for, especially with a guy like Bajan who has started his first NFL game and got a victory under his belt. So you know what? Let's give it up for the kid. Good for him as the Bears are my winner number one. And my winner number two, I'm going to give it up to the Atlanta Falcons. Now, they don't really deserve it because they did anything and everything to give the Tampa Bay Buccaneers the game. And the Bucs who got off to that 3-1 start have now are 3-3 three and three, and who knows if they're going to be even heard from. Granted that it is a very muddled NFC South but for the Falcons to somehow, some way, pull this game out of the fire and cap it off there with a 51-yard field goal by, I can't pronounce his name, Young Hu And that was a big clutch field goal for them to go ahead and put themselves in first place in the NFC South. And one more time, their offense with Desmond Ritter at quarterback, he is not going to be the long-term answer because they were just mistake prone. Like I said, they did everything to give the game away to the Buccaneers to say, hey, you want first place in the division? Here it goes. But Tampa was unable to capitalize on that. And even with them kicking field goals left and right, and with that team that we all know, it is a run-oriented, run-focused offense behind Bijan Robinson and company. But they were able to prevail. They were able to hang on and do the little things and survive and run out of Tampa with a win. And the only reason why I say that is because even when you play bad and win a game, it shows that your team has a little bit of character. And even though it may not be a lot, and it wasn't against an opponent that is a world beater by any stretch, but knowing that it was for first place and Tampa who has had a stretch where I believe they've had four home games to start off their season, four and two, and now they have a ton of road games upcoming. That was a bad loss for them. But give it up for the Falcons. They're my winner number two. I get it. They're different winners this week. People could have said Jay Reels. What about Jacksonville there on Thursday night? A big game on the road with Trevor Lawrence injured. And yes, I understand. Forster Moreau for the Saints had a touchdown pass that was dropped that could have tied the game. Understood. And yes, we could say Jacksonville as they're playing pretty well here. But no, I wasn't going to pick them because that Thursday night game gets lost into yesterday's matchups, etc. I could have said Cleveland, but I talked about Cleveland earlier this year as being a winner. I kind of want to give some new teams and some fresher blood, so to speak, to give them their due for winning a game. But Cleveland won a crazy game in Indianapolis. And what's up with those uniforms by the Colts, all blue? That I was not feeling. But Cleveland, without Deshaun Watson, and that was a mystery to say the least because... He left the game with an injury that was unknown and we know that he hadn't played in the two games prior due to that shoulder injury or he has, I think it was a ligament issue in his shoulder and he played in the game and then left and then you had P.J. Walker come in and he was able to prevail and will his team to victory there in the closing seconds with Kareem Hunt. So the Brownies continue to scratch and claw and fight and make the AFC North competitive as possibly could be. So give it up to them as the Browns were able to escape with a victory there in Indianapolis. Besides that, the rest of the schedule was was some hunger if you ask me. I'm sorry, the Giants winning 14-7 against the Commanders. No shock there with the way the Commanders play. For whatever the reason, they can't seem to win at MetLife. Remember last year they had the tie there at MetLife, which proved costly to them down the stretch because they didn't make it into the postseason because of that. Now granted it was against the Giants, but they had a brutal loss there at the end of the year by the Commanders, which made them not qualify for the postseason last year, but the Giants win. So the G-Men were able to finally get off the snide and get a win under their belt. Not going to go crazy about Arizona-Seattle, where the Seahawks won 20-10. No DK Metcalf, but no problem, as they were able to beat up on the Cardinals. Maybe not badly, but, you know, 20-10. Anything to write home about there? Not really. 
Denver winning against Green Bay. I understand that. Jordan Love, he's a guy that if you're in Green Bay, you don't know which guy he's going to be. He's been about a C plus, maybe even C minus. He's had his moments, but certainly you don't know if he's going to be the guy that will lead your franchise for the next 10 to 15 years a la Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers before him. And not that I got a good feel of this game because I was watching the Steeler game, which I'll get to, but Jordan Love, they're on the road against a Bronco team that, as we all know, is going nowhere fast. Eh. Then you had Casey beating the Chargers. More Swifty craziness there in Arrowhead as the Chiefs continue to roll. Patrick Mahomes throws for over 400 yards. What else is new? The Chargers, they've been a major disappointment here. And what else is new then? The Chargers are always just set themselves up for disaster. They have all the talent. Brandon Staley's going to be the first one out, you would think, maybe even before the end of the year. I would not be shocked. He is not a head coach, let's face it. And again, I don't know what really happened in the game. It was close early on. I know the Chargers were competitive, but then the Chiefs were able to pull away late. But that marriage between Staley and the organization is not going to last any longer, if you ask me. And then you had, let me get you, I go to the Steeler game because remember, you had six teams on a bye this week. Bengals, Cowboys, Titans, Jets, Panthers, and Texans. Yeah, I went through most of the other games, the Thursday night game. Uh, Yeah, let's get to the Steeler game because that's the last one standing. Again, I don't know how the Steelers win these games. I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if they just all of a sudden wake up. And when you watch that first half, the Steelers barely move the ball, barely get first downs. It is from absolute starvation. It's not even hunger. It is literally them just crawling to find water, let alone food. That's how bad it is. And I talked about fire Matt Canada, the offensive coordinator. I understand it's not all on him because we all we all know that the offensive line is very green, but they have playmakers on this team. And they had Deontay Johnson come back yesterday and he made a contribution. Pat Fryermuth, who I thought was going to come out, the tight end, and play yesterday, but he had to go on injured reserve. So they lose a key component there to their offense as far as Fryermuth being that safety blanket for a one Kenny Pickett. But they were able to turn it on yesterday, especially in that fourth quarter. Major contributions, George Pickens, Jalen Warren, even Najee Harris. And the Rams, who had a lot of Puka Nakua, who was looking like Isaac Bruce there in that secondary. And they were running roughshod on that steal of defense for two and a half quarters. I don't know what happened. They took the foot off the gas there a little bit on the run game. Even with the 17-10 lead that the Rams had. The Steelers were able to come back and get the equalizer to tie and then took the lead there in the fourth quarter with two scores there in the final quarter. And the Steelers did just enough defensively there to thwart Matthew Stafford who had his moments and did not have a good game. And what could you say? I don't know how the Steelers are doing it. To me, I think it's more smoke and mirrors and I'm just being real. This isn't a knock. I love the Steelers. Everybody knows who's listened to me over the years. The Steelers are my team. But they are 4-2. and two. And their two losses were horrendous. 30-7 to to San Francisco and 30-6 to in Houston. Remember that game? And even with a 4-2 record, their point differential is atrocious for a team that is just a half game behind the Baltimore Ravens in the division. And as we all know, the Ravens have to have their bye upcoming at some point, which we'll take a look. And I think it's later on in the year. But if they were to keep pace, they're going to be in first place because... Not only do they have the tiebreaker head-to-head, but they also are undefeated in the division. So, I don't know how this team is doing it. Again, smoke and mirrors, if you ask me, because they do just enough, whether it was that Raven game with the touchdown to Pickens, and they had no business winning that game. Let's call it as we see it real quick. That interception by Lamar Jackson, which was terrible. Joey Porter Jr. in the end zone. That would have iced the game there at 10-8. to It would have been 17-8. The Steelers would have had no answer, but they ended up winning the game, which... I couldn't believe, and I was overseas at the time when it happened and when I saw the score and I was following it while I was in Paris. I was flabbergasted. I couldn't believe it. But here they are, the Steelers. They win at SoFi with a raucous crowd. It was definitely, I was going to say Heinz Field, or Acrisur Stadium West, whatever you want to call it, as the Steelers were able to win a game that, not to say they had no business winning, but it looked like they were in a clogged toilet as far as their offense goes, but they somehow, someway found the way thanks to Mike Tomlin and a little bit of Kenny Pickett who had a better second half than the first half. And here they are. 
win another game and have a big one next week. We'll get to the schedule there more next week. But, uh, or I should say on Thursday's podcast, excuse me. But for the Steelers, they prevail and they have Jacksonville coming into that building next week. And we'll talk more about that on the next podcast come Thursday. Tonight you have San Francisco and Minnesota. Like I said, that's a game that I'm not going to really watch. Yeah, I'll go back and forth on. But with the Vikings and how they performed this year, you would think that the Niners would roll. So that's what you have there for a week seven as we put that in the books. And to turn my attention to the college circuit, if you're in Happy Valley, I'm sure there were a lot of frowns and no one was ecstatic by the performance you saw there on Saturday afternoon in Columbus against the Buckeyes because this was their chance. This was their moment to finally show not only the conference, but the entire nation that Penn State belonged in the conversation when it comes to teams that are looking to break into the top four to be a part of the college football playoff mix. And what you saw there Saturday afternoon between 12 and about, what, 3.15, 3.30 was an absolute dud and thud by the Nittany Lion offense. And right, nobody's going to confuse this offense with the high-flying Miami Hurricanes of the 2000s or even before that. The Cornhuskers of Nebraska in the mid-90s when they were winning their national titles. But for James Franklin, the head coach, and for their program to take a big hit. And I don't want to hear them if they do beat Michigan in their building in a couple weeks. To me, that's going to be moot. Because as much as the university and the alumni and even the students will go bonkers and maybe storm the field if they do upset the Wolverines at that time... All you got to do is look back to this game and say, no, you had your chance and moment right here. And they came up, not small, diminutive in the process. And this is not a knock on Ohio State. But let's face it, this is not a vintage Ohio State team. It's certainly not last year's team when you had C.J. Stroud throwing a ball all over the lot and was a Heisman Trophy candidate. Nobody's going to confuse Kyle McCord, their current quarterback, with the now Houston Texan quarterback. And even though it was on the road, I understand, I get it 100%. But for the Buckeyes to just have their way with their offense to the point where they were 1-for-16 on third down, Drew Aller did nothing as far as numbers. What was he, 18-for-42? He had that measly touchdown there late, but it was cosmetic. It made it look game closer, but it was over by the time they even scored that touchdown. And... I don't care. They could go back to the drawing board. They can make all the excuses they want. And not to say that they did. Not that I would know. I didn't listen to or read any of the post-game press conferences as far as what the coach had to say, etc. But that is just a pathetic performance there to, one more time, show the conference and the nation that the Nittany Lions were trying to have some sort of renaissance or resurgence to their days going back to the 80s when they were a powerhouse under Joe Paterno. And as for Penn State, being a part of this college football mix, playoff mix, forget it. Even if they beat Michigan and maybe even win a Big Ten, I don't still see them making it into the Final Four. And as it is, I don't even think they're going to get to that point. Because you would think Michigan will take care of Penn State in their building come, I believe it was in a couple weeks or so. It may even be this week. I haven't checked the college football schedule this upcoming week, but we know that a game is on the horizon between the two. And Penn State, they blew it. If they would have won this game, I'm sure it would have put a lot of gas in their tank and they would have looked forward to that game against Michigan in their building. And who knows? It would have been a scenario where maybe you would have thought Penn State could have been one of those teams to creep up in the rankings and maybe even get to the top four. And as it is right now, you can forget about it based on what you saw there Saturday. And Alabama... They have nine lives. They find a way and give it up for Nick Saban and company. When I saw the score at halftime was 20-7, to where Tennessee in their building just had their way with Alabama. And what I mean by had their way is that when was the last time you saw a Nick Saban-led team trail by double digits in their building at halftime? I'm waiting. Still waiting. That's my point. And give it up for what the... Crimson Tide had to do. They certainly took over the game there in the second half. And for them to get out of that slumber, and I understand that right out of the gate there, they had the big pass play. What was it? Just 41 seconds into the third quarter. And you kind of knew from that point on, 
it was going to be curtains for the Volunteers. And as it was, Tennessee did not score a lick in that second half to the tune where the Crimson Tide were able to score, what was it, 27 unanswered en route to a 34-20 victory. And I understand Jalen Milrow, he's a guy that in a huge spot, in a big game, you're going to have to really wonder and worry about. And we're going to see that down the road when they face LSU. And I understand LSU is not the same as years past, but that's going to be a very competitive game. And certainly in an SEC championship, where the likelihood of them playing Georgia, how he's going to perform there. But Alabama, they still are a team that has to be reckoned with and will move up a little bit here in the rankings, maybe even crack the top 10 as they were ranked 11th coming into this game. So kudos to Nick Saban and company for them to win that game at home after trailing by 13 at the half. And then USC, their kryptonite against Utah continues. It's the third time they've lost to them in the last year. Caleb Williams, you could pretty much forget about him being a He's going to probably be a finalist for the Heisman Trophy, but as far as winning it, uh uh-uh, that goes by the board. And Lincoln Riley, he even mentioned in his postgame how the expectations may have caused this team to really unravel here and implode, which is kind of weird. And of course, I'm paraphrasing when I say that, but for Lincoln Riley, who had big-time expectations coming into this year, based on the year they had last year, and they got off to that tremendous start, as we know, and for USC to now lose to Notre Dame and then now lose to Utah. And what more can you say? If you're Lincoln Riley, you have your tail between your legs wondering what has gone wrong here over the last few weeks. The Utes got off to that big lead early and they were able to hang on there to the point where they got that last second field goal. And even though they would have looked heroic there by getting that touchdown late with less than two minutes ago, but the defense couldn't make a stop as they... Got that field goal at the final gun there by Cole Becker, 38 yards. And USC, bye-bye to them. There's no way they're going to be a part of any college football playoff scenario. And as it is right now, as we take a look here, as we're still eight days away from November, but we're more than halfway past the college football season. As I take a look at the rankings, and to me it's not even about the rankings, even though it does show you where these teams are going to match up and lie when it's all said and done but as we look at it here yes Alabama now moves up to eight that's in the coaches poll as far as the top 25 they're ninth uh with the Associated Press but here are the teams that I'm looking at here that could be a part of the final four when it's all said and done Georgia for sure you figure Michigan and or Ohio State could be a part of that mix. Probably one of the two, you would think, because they're going to knock one of each other out of that Final Four. And as we all know, Michigan has beaten Ohio State the last two years, so you know Ohio State's going to want to chomp at the bit to get at them again. But this time, the game is in the big house, so they got to go to Ann Arbor to play this game there in late November. Florida State, who beat Duke the other day, that was a game I didn't mention, but Florida State continues to play well here, and I get it, it's an ACC, and who are they playing, etc. Understood, but... They are worthy of being in that top four. Washington, Oklahoma, Texas, Alabama, Oregon, Penn State. Those are your top 10 teams. And how I look at it here, obviously those top four, Washington could play for a national title or at least be in the semifinals. Oklahoma, of course, as well, when they beat Texas a couple of weeks ago, that was when I was away. Texas, even with that loss, could they be a part of this final four mix? Quite possibly, Alabama, of course, Oregon. You would think they may get bumped here again along the way with a very competitive Pac-12, and the Pac-12 is going out like a lion here, considering that all these teams are going to be jumping ship, going to the ACC, to the Big Ten, etc. They're really showing their worth, but it's going to be all for naught because the Pac-12 is going to be the Pac-2 when it's all said and done, or it's going to dissolve completely. But we have Oregon, I'm not even going to include Penn State, even Ole Miss, Right now, you're looking at eight teams that can win a national title. And as we get deeper into this month, another eight days, and obviously into the following month, we will see how this is all going to shake down. And it is compelling. Because in years past, it was a formality that you were going to see Georgia, the winner of the Big Ten, possibly Alabama, the Clemsons of the world. And yes, in the last couple of years, you had some Cinderella's with Cincinnati and TCU. I get that. But you've had the mainstays there 
in college football year in and year out where it was the same mix of Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia, Alabama. You may have Florida State in the Final Four. You may have Washington in the Final Four. You may have Oklahoma in a Final Four. So this is where college football is going to get interesting from here on out because like I said, past the halfway point, we're going to get into the teeth of the schedule, especially when we turn the calendar into November. And you know I'll have my fingers all over the pulse when it comes to that. All right, let me switch it up here. And I'm going to go to the ice real quick. And I get it that usually hockey right now is not going to be at the forefront when it comes to here in their starting at what? Their second week or full week of games. But I have to bring this up only because... Now, granted, he's only going to be out for a week or two. It's not as if he's going to be on the show four to six weeks or out for the year completely. But for Connor McDavid to have this upper body injury that he suffered the other night against Winnipeg, and Edmonton, as we all know, they're a team that I've picked year in and year out to go to a Stanley Cup final. We know how great McDavid is. I don't have to extol the brilliance of the current MVP and best player in the sport. But knowing that he's going to be out for a significant amount of time with an upper body injury, as we know the NHL, they don't want to release what part of the body for whatever reason, it's top secret. But for up to two weeks, it's going to be big. And I get it, it's not any significant length of time. Not like Andre Burakovsky of the Kraken, who's going to be out six to eight weeks. He was a guy that was brought over to add some scoring. But he got hurt against the Rangers over the weekend with another upper body injury. Who knows what it's going to be. But he's going to be out for almost two months. So that's a big blow for the Kraken here early on. But I only bring up McDavid because we know how great he is. And how with him sitting out for any significant amount of time. Even if it is a week. It's big because of who he is and what he means to the sport. Granted there's only but... 100,000 people that are following closely. And of course I'm stretching that. But when you have a big player in the sport, that's similar to having, whether you want to say LeBron James, I get it, he's 38 years of age, but having a player of that ilk, having a guy like Nikola Jokic, even if he's going to be out for a couple weeks, it's like you gasp for a second because it's like, oh Jesus, is it more serious than it's imagined to be? And in the case where McDavid, it's an upper body injury, but what is it? Is it a shoulder? Is it a pec? Is it a, an elbow? Is it a wrist? Is it, it could be anything. Did he get concussed? Uh, Who knows? So that's why I bring that up and something to pay attention to here as we move it along. But the NHL, as currently constituted, as we talk about here, we know it's a long season. I understand that we're going to have ebbs and flows and we're going to have moments where we may not even get into certain things. But the NHL, with the Bruins off and running, they're 5-0 and the Red Wings 5-1. They've played very well. And we've seen the story with the Bruins last year with the regular season. So if this is what they're going to do this year to tease their fans, then so be it. But they are undefeated to get their season underway and continue their regular season prowess from a year ago. The Red Wings, like I mentioned, they are now 5-1 and one and I picked them as an over as we talked about there. What was it? Uh, not during the NHL preview, but I posted that on my YouTube channel. I didn't talk about that on the podcast. If you haven't gotten a chance to check my over-under win totals, I picked four overs and two unders, which is unconventional for me. But you have that going on. You have the Avalanche who are 5-0 and off to a great start. Vegas, the defending champ, they were undefeated at 4-0 when we last spoke. Now they're 6-0. and And teams that have been on the wayside here, you have the Blackhawks, Connor Bedard. I believe, did they finally have a home game? I know that the ticket prices were over the roof, or over the moon, I should say. And they played the Golden Knights in their first home game this year to a loss. So Bedard, who got his first taste of playing in front of the Blackhawk faithful, unfortunately ended up with an L. You have the Panthers. I'm looking at some other teams that may be scuffling here a little bit. No, that's pretty much it. No other big surprises there when it comes to teams that we expected to do well. I know Edmonton won 3-1. That's not good, and especially with McDavid going to be out for possibly up to two weeks. So we'll continue to keep our eyes on that as well as anything and everything else that's happening on the ice. And I will conclude with the NBA. Now, I'm going to put up a preview tomorrow. I figured let me go a little bit more in-depth, and this is... Something that I haven't done in quite some time because usually previews should stand alone. Previews shouldn't be mixed in with the 
regular podcast that I put out Monday and Thursday. So you're going to get a full NBA preview coming at you tomorrow before tip-off. It'll be out sometime in the afternoon for sure. But when it comes to the over-under numbers for this year, and I will go through them because you know I'm going to pick my over-unders, three overs, three unders, maybe four and two like I did with the NHL. That still remains to be seen. But here's what we have when it comes to the landscape of who has the top spot as far as over on the win totals and who has the bottom rung when it comes to that. And the bottom rung, unfortunately, belongs to the team that plays in the nation's capital, that being the Wizards. They have the lowest win total as put out by Vegas at 23 and a half. And the high end to that, the other side of the spectrum, belongs to the, of all teams, the Boston Celtics, 54 and a half. Now the Bucks are right behind them at 53 and a half. And to me, those seem kind of low, but I get it. You have the in-season tournament where you have to factor in and granted that you don't have a team that looks like they're going to be an upper 50 or even a 60 win team, even with the new dynamic duo of Giannis and Damian Lillard. I thought maybe they would be number one, but they're just a game behind the Celtics when it comes to the top spot. A couple of the other numbers that stick out. The Cavaliers at 50 and a half. I know they're a young team and you would think second year with Donovan Mitchell and all those young guys there, the Evan Mobleys of the world, Darius Garlands, etc. But I thought that number was a bit high and I picked them as an over last year, I believe. And I went 5-1 and one with my over-unders last year in the NBA, I might add. And that was a team I picked as an over and I believe they were in the mid-40s, maybe 46 and a half. But wow, they think that the Cavs could take the leap to go at least 51? I don't know. That may be a team I could pick as an under. Uh, I'm not tipping my hand by any stretch, but that's one to look at. Denver, 52 and a half. That's also another team that's up there with Boston and Milwaukee, the defending champs there. 52 and a half. If you're wondering about the Lakers, 46 and a half. The other team across town, the Clippers, 45 and a half. I would pick them as an over, but you can't trust them with the whole... And I get it, they're trying to crack down on the load management, but still. Heat, 44 and a half. Excuse me, that's their over on the win total, which could be about right. Because as we saw last year, I think they were at 44 or 45 and we saw them go to an NBA final. Pelicans 44 and a half with Zion. If he's healthy, that's a good number, but can't trust that number. Phoenix 52 and a half with Durant. What else we have here? Sixers 47 and a half. That's a number that we'll pay attention to. Grizzlies 45 and a half with no John Morant for the first 25 games. That's going to be big. And of course, with Dylan Brooks out and a makeshift lineup, you have guys like Marcus Smart there on the team, even Derrick Rose to be a backup. So that's their number. Golden State, 47.5. What else do we have here? Mavs, 43.5 with Kyrie and Luka. And do I even need to go to some of these other teams like the Hornets, 31.5? Even a team like the Bulls, 37.5. Indiana 38.5, Houston 31.5. So you have a lot of those teams that would be at that bottom rung. T-Wolves 44.5. That maybe should be a bit higher. Maybe I'll pick them as an over this year. I don't know. But, and I've been thinking about this. I already see one team I'm picking as an over. And I'll save that for tomorrow. Just looking at their number, I'm actually surprised. And you would think that they would take a leap. Maybe not a big leap, and I know the Western Conference is stacked. It's going to be competitive as all hell, but yeah, I, there's one, and I'm gonna, that's going to be my first over-under when I talk about it on the podcast tomorrow, so just keep that in mind, NBA fans, as I leave a little suspense for those wondering what team am I picking. I'll give you a hint. Well, I already gave you a hint when I think about it. The Western Conference is stacked, and it's a team that I'm looking at here that a lot of people could be a trendy pick, could be a team that a lot of people may... See some growth. I won't say leaps and bounds, but I'll just keep it at that and save it for the NBA preview, which will come at you tomorrow. That'll do it, my good people. Another episode just about in the books. As always, thank you so much for stopping by, for carving out precious time out of your day to listen to what it is I have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review. Throw me a few stars, write a review. That will go a long way into increasing the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. And... Follow me on my social media platforms as well as my YouTube channel at J Reels. Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, the J Reels Podcast, Twitter or X, J Reels One, just a number. And if you want to hit me up with a question, comment, suggestion at those aforementioned 
platforms or the old-fashioned way by email. You can go to the Podcast at gmail.com. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you guys and gals because whether you do or do not know, this is what I love to do, people. It's in the blood. It's in the DNA. I got a lot forthcoming. Not ready to tip my hand yet as far as the future of this podcast, but boy, there are going to be some changes. And I'm in the lab over the next two months working feverishly, working hard, planning, plotting, prodding as far as what these next steps are going to be because 2024, and I promise you people, this isn't bluster, this isn't anything that's false, I promise you, next year is going to be my biggest year yet. You definitely want to stay tuned as the weeks will chip off of this calendar for 2023 and as we get closer to 2024 I'll be more than happy to share what I have in store because like I said it is going to be epic with nothing but passion fire energy fury with my thoughts opinions analysis critiques praise on anything and everything it's in the blood it's in the DNA people like I said you're not going to get all these sports in one podcast in an hour where else are you going to find this hit me up let me know because That means I got to do more. I got to do better. I'm not going anywhere, people. So remember that. All the stuff that happens on the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, directed, and full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Center to South Pacific and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.